Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Hello, hello, hello. It is a new day. It is a new Monday. And that means it is a new episode of Room 9. In this episode, I sit down for the second time in Room 9 history with an incredible person by the name of Brittany Bennett. Brittany is a licensed mental health counselor at Bridge Over Troubled Water. I will leave a link to her website below, which is botwservices.com. So look for that link. I will also have a link for her Psychology Today page, which you can also find below. And in this episode, we talk about depression, we talk about suicide, and we kind of touch base on relationships as well towards the end of it. I think it is a great episode, especially recently, now that we're all kind of stuck inside and some of us are really struggling with depression and loneliness. So good tips, good advice, awesome information in this episode. So make sure you listen to it. Check out Brittany's site. Check out Room 9's site. I would love for you guys to see this trailer titled Family and Addiction, where I sit down and I talked with my mom, my sister, and my girlfriend, Christine, about my addiction. It's a little teaser video and I am currently working on the longer form version of it. You check that out at our website. You can check that out at Room 9 Podcast at YouTube. So be sure to pass that along because I think it's great for people who have loved ones that are struggling with addiction and other types of mental health challenges. That is all I got for you guys. Get to this episode. Be sure to let me know what you think of it. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and everywhere else where Room 9 is available, which is pretty much what I just said, everywhere available, and LinkedIn. Have a great Memorial Day, have a great week, and I will talk to you soon. As always, much love, stay strong, and stay encouraged. All right, peace. your life going you're writing a book that's done I am, I am writing a book yeah it's it's been many years several years of wanting to do it and slowly over time uh you know just kind of putting together an outline of what it is that i want to focus on and the message has changed throughout um throughout uh writing the book and putting it together so then i went to a, a halt if you will where i kind of took some time off from writing it, um, loss of motivation. It didn't align with, you know, my my time management at the time or mm-hmm. my balance of time. And then just recently, um, over the past few months, I started deciding, you know, how do I how do I, how do I want to spend my time and what type of career goals do I have now? And I just kind of, you know, reevaluated what my goals were and sat down, took a week into myself, uh, wrote the book, and now I'm in the process of doing the research of how to get it. Um, published. So it's an exciting time for me and just kind of waiting to see if everything falls into place. That's great. What is like, what is your main message? If you could sum it up, what's your mission statement for the book? 
my mission statement is my title, which I'm not prepared to uh, disclose We're not today. releasing it. <laughs> not releasing the title um, until it's published and it's and it's live. That way, um, I'm assuming I'll have some type of, of rights to the the title, which is actually a mm -hmm. phrase. Okay. Um, but it really actually focuses on the definition of three words and how in society we look at the word as something that's negative. But if you actually separate the word into two words through in the dictionary, it has a very positive association with it. Ooh, so nice. it really kind of reflects on that, which I'm sure that, that's almost too vague for anyone to be interested right now, but um, it does fall into the genre of well-being, self-care, self-love, uh, communicating with purpose and living a life that's doing more of what we love and making sure that we are making room to give us permission to kind of diminish the things that we don't enjoy so much. That's exciting. It feels exciting. A good old book. Yeah, I look forward to it. I am really excited to, you know, see the see the next step. Yeah, that is awesome. I remember you bringing that up last time. Mm -hmm. I wish now I would have looked even before we started this. What episode I sat down with you for the first time? But that was that was at least eight months ago. Likely so. Probably mm -hmm. right. Is that yeah. a, that's a good number. But like you were saying, it was it was pretty warm. Yeah, so I feel like it has to be pushing a year in at least a few couple months here. Yeah, and you know, I take that back about it being warm. Yes, it was warm, but that doesn't indicate the type of month that it was, seeing how it can snow, rain, or shine. No, that's true. So the months of, you know, March through through May sometimes? Yep, something around there. Yeah, we have to be coming up on a year on that. It was a little bit ago. Yeah, it was before my grant. It was before... I was, definitely wasn't doing any video production. That just kind of started. No. I mean, I had crappy mics my computer didn't have enough ram to handle now see that was my first audio. podcast yeah. so i wouldn't have known anything different i thought the setup was was great <laughs> but today being here looking at the um the upgrade to to the mics really does say say yeah. a lot about advancement and learning and mm -hmm. it's exciting stuff and it shows dedication to wanting to continue growth in this area so oh yeah i can't i can't go back to having a boss I I know I know what it. you mean. Yep. I had the best of both worlds. I have my own private practice where I'm the you know the one the one the one woman show if you will, and then I still have my my day job um, with a boss. So I kind of experience a little bit of both, and it really is a remarkable responsibility with a lot of pros um, with being your being your own boss if you will. It is yeah. You do have to be disciplined. One of my biggest things actually mainly is what I've worked on all this week other than finishing up a project was I feel like I call it undisciplined discipline okay and because I'm working my ass off but it's like all over the place and I feel like at the end of the day after working my ass off for 12 hours I didn't accomplish anything so I really have put into practice I've been going on all these um websites trying to find an app or a program that helps me stay organized sure. and scheduling and tasks and invoices and finances and contracts and all that other crap that comes along with this. And I think I might have found one today that I'm going to stick with, but I was just so driving me nuts kind of just being all over the place. Right. And I feel... Your hands in a lot of different yeah. jars, if you will, and it's chaos. It's chaotic, but at the end of the day, every step counts to what you're working towards. Yeah, and I feel like if I get more organized in my discipline, I can get a lot more work done. So, especially now that like more work is coming where mm -hmm. I have to like show up and get it done, I have to be like on top of my game. So, that's kind of what I've been working on a lot. How is the private practice going? 
it's going well. It, it, it really is. Uh, I, su- I still have to balance my own time. I know I say that a lot, and I said that a lot um, the last podcast, but, you know, it's you want to be able to enjoy your work, and I find that the way I enjoy it is limiting myself to management of my time. Uh, so I reserve only a few um, spots for the year where I see clients to make sure that I'm staying present, that I'm available, um, invested, and enjoying my time each and every time I come to the office, that I'm not feeling tired. Or if it's a, if I know that I have a upcoming week or two that are busier, that I can make sure that, you know, I flex my schedule accordingly and prepare accordingly so that I have time to regroup in and recharge. Uh, working the day job and the private practice, you know, it can be, um, it takes up a lot of time. So I want to make sure that I always enjoy my time after my daytime job. And how often do you see clients here? On a biweekly basis, typically. Okay. Um, I do have weekly clients, but I try to schedule, you know, all my clients in the same week. That way I have one week on and one week off um, when that would, uh, does work out. Um, and I forgot what, what the remainder of your question was. Yeah, so just uh, how your practice was going. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's good. I, I love it. I enjoy it. This is, you know, one of my one of my passions is meeting with um, with my clients. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but when we met last year for the podcast, we really kind of focused on the type of clientele that I like to work with, who comes in, what type of problems and concerns or um, life changes do people come in for. And I still fall with the same the same uh, scope, if you will, which is I really speak to the type of everyday stressors that I enjoy working with. And those are the type of clients that call me. I find, you know, just an enhanced sense of passion and excitement and being on the journey with someone who is coming here to focus on things that I have an interest in as well. So I actually think it's, you know, quite special um, when you market for a certain type of clientele and we both identify with the same with the same thoughts. And it's, it's, it's great. So how do you how do you go about finding your clients? I feel like you made it sound like you go out and look for them as opposed to they come and look for you. It's kind of like a perfect a perfect uh, <laughs> match, if you will. So what's really nice is through my website and through Psychology Today, you have the ability to share a little bit about you, your process of therapy, what your thoughts are on therapy, what type of therapy that you like to do with clients and interests or specialties that you like to focus on. Uh, so for me, from when I think about my internship days when I was going through school to get the master's in mental health and counseling to present day, when I think about all of the clients that I've worked with, whether it was for a one-time session or for working with someone for three years straight or six months or eight months or 12 months of all the hundreds of clients that I have had an interaction with, you pick up on things that you enjoy talking about, things that maybe you don't have as much of an interest in. So when you think about mental health counseling, um, you know, anything really goes when it comes to why someone's coming in for mental health treatment, whether it's to talk to somebody about what's going on, whether it's to have some added support, even if it's just education about symptoms that you might be having that you're not sure if it's anxiety or depression or something else, questions about medication. Mental health counseling is used to couple not only mental well-being with mental health, but also your physical well-being. And it's really imperative that you as a therapist are interacting with your client's providers, whether it's their psychiatrist or encouraging them to meet with their primary care doctor for that annual exam, regular routine lab work, making sure that they're taking care of themselves with 
even going to the dentist two times a year. It's amazing how things that you only have to do once or twice a year can impact you in the long term if you don't maintain some type of regularity with them. I guess with that, I'm kind of getting off track, but back to the original question of the type of clientele that you're trying to bring in, working with all these people over the years, I really find that I identify with certain types of, I don't even want to really use the word issues because they're not issues, they're life. Mm-hmm. They're life issues, but there's certain challenges. ones that challenges and life's ups and downs because even when we have ups in life, sometimes they're still not supported by those around us. So whether it's ups or downs, they're both valid to discuss. Um, so with the years of working with you know so many different challenges and ups and downs, I've really found what I connect with, what I identify with, what I love talking about with people and being on that journey with them. And it hasn't changed. It's the same thing as it was last year. One of my favorite things are working with people who have a hard time understanding learning about or being involved in one of their loved one's life, whether it's a partner or a family member or a friend who are struggling with their own mental health or addiction. Again, so many times we as family members don't know how to best support our loved ones or ourselves during during any type of hardship. So I really enjoy giving education on symptoms of a mental health condition that they think that their loved one has or that they know that their loved one has. I love talking about the prognosis, which means, you know, what's the expected outcome for someone with a certain type of mental health condition? How long is it expected to last? Is it a lifetime, you know, condition? Is it typically treated with medication? Is it not treated with medication? What are the benefits of medication? Um, So I really enjoy the discussion piece and the education piece because so many times people are not even aware that some of the symptoms is part of the mental health condition. And just a quick example, just right off the cuff, depression. A possible symptom of depression is irritability, changes in concentration. Sometimes people just don't think of that. They think of just being sad, moping around, depressed, Mm -hmm. maybe suicidal. Um, But there's so much more that goes into that. Your sleep changes, your appetite changes. Maybe you've had a weight loss or a weight increase. Feelings of guilt, that is also a symptom of depression. Um, And sometimes when someone has the opportunity to discuss how they feel and you get to go through the possible symptoms, it can be not only eye-opening, but it can be a relief as well sometimes that, aha, that's why I feel that way. There is something that I am going through. And it is workable. Yes. Yes, it is. You said there's a lot there. I could uh, keep talking about so many things. Even to start way in the beginning when you mentioned about just having family members. I was been recently kind of ringing through my divorce because I've had a few times this week where I just have had to just go in another room and cry about being away from my kids and not really, I mean, I'm not really a father anymore other than what she wants for me financially. And so I just kind of had to really just kind of go let that go in another room. These are her thoughts, not yours. Yes. Okay, understood. You know, and I mean, which I'm not, I mean, I guess not being a father anymore is kind of my thoughts too because my kids are in Florida and I mean things go on in their life I can't ever know anything about she doesn't communicate with me at all about anything so I mean I guess it is kind of my thought but so I kind of had to go deal with that but I've been thinking like a lot of my relationship with my now ex-wife and how like I just remember when she was depressed and in my early 20s so I had no idea how to really handle that. And to me, like I was in that ignorant mode of just be happy. Why can't you just be happy? Mm. And it goes back to just like the education and more importantly, talking about things in a family. And I recently, actually the last two episodes I've done, 
of room nine have really kind of touched base on that, at least touched base on the topic of having mental health, stuff like depression and anxiety be a common household conversation. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about it. And this one mom talked about how her daughter came to her when she was like 12 and said, you know, I don't know if I want to live anymore. And she was, you know, crying as she was saying this, but she said it was a relief. It was scary. But at the same time, I was relieved because she was comfortable enough to me to come and talk to me about it. And she really believes so much of that is growing up. She always talked to her kids about mental health and everything else and how important that is. I mean, Christine, my girlfriend's daughter, she's 16, and they just had a, a boy who committed suicide from City Honors. Mm-hmm. And I heard he of this. was, yeah. And it's just, it's not talked about enough. And that's kind of been a theme that's come up over the last couple episodes I've done is we have to really start talking about stuff out loud with our kids, with our families, and just become more aware of it. And so that at least you know your child can feel comfortable and not be scared to tell you that they're feeling a certain way. That's right. You know, I wish that there was more discussion around suicide and Mm -hmm. what that means. You know, sometimes I think this is actually a really great topic and I could talk about it in so many different ways. But I guess there's at least a couple of points I'd want to hit on since we're discussing it. And that is I want to talk about suicide and when you share that with someone, what the potential outcomes might be. Mm -hmm. Um, Over the years of working with so many clients, I mean, you know, we we assess for safety and how someone's feeling and with their depression, they experience suicidal thoughts. But I think what's important is, is to recognize that when we hear the word suicidal, suicidal thoughts, there's a lot that goes into that. It's more than just somebody thinking that that they're going to hurt themselves and they fulfill that and they they do. It's, It's a much broader picture, which includes thoughts of not wanting to be alive, thoughts of not wanting to be around, thoughts of wanting to escape, take a nap, wake up and everything's different. Thoughts of wanting to isolate uh, yourself from other people. And it also includes thoughts of, you know, I really don't want to be alive, but I also don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to be alive, but I don't know who to tell. Um, I don't feel like being alive, but I also don't want to kill myself. So I have no reason to reach out to somebody because I'm not suicidal to kill myself. Um, The reason I say these things is because those are all considered suicidal thoughts. It varies. It's almost like a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not if you're suicidal, you're going to go out and harm yourself. Suicidal is, is, is broad in the sense that these are feelings that we have and they start somewhere. They start somewhere with the thought of not wanting to be alive and then it can progress into different ways. So it's really important to be able to understand what someone is actually experiencing when they feel suicidal. Is it just thoughts? Is it thoughts that um, you're having that are accompanied with ways that you've thought about hurting yourself? Um, and then the other part that I that I at least want to touch on, um, and then if you want to talk about either of those further, we can. But the other thing that I've noticed with, with clients, and I've only learned this from clients who actually share this with me, is sometimes clients don't feel comfortable. I wouldn't say clients, people, but in my practice, mm-hmm. clients will share whether it was present or in the past or future when they think about if they have suicidal thoughts, who will they tell? Clients will choose to not tell someone that they're feeling suicidal for fear of some type of repercussion or consequence. You know, that's not how I view those. I don't view them as a consequence or a repercussion. I I think I look at it as to ensure someone's safety so that they feel safe and that if they do feel like they are going to hurt themselves, that there is some type of discussion around what are we going to do if you do feel this way, no matter what time of day it is. But the thought of hearing that if someone 
someone suicidal, they may send you to um, have a mental health evaluation or a local, you know, crisis facility may get involved. Sometimes those can be factors that that actually affect us into not wanting to share things. And that's really unfortunate because that's not always going to be the case. The more open you can be about what type of suicidal thought that you're having, the best together you can decide on how are you going to manage and handle that. You know, the one thing that I really wish would would change, and I've started to dabble in this over the past couple of years of trying to get involved locally, is to focus on suicide and how it's talked about into the public. Because too often what I'm seeing is if you're feeling suicidal, call this number. If you're feeling suicidal, there's now a text line. If you're feeling suicidal, do this. Why are we talking about if you're feeling suicidal, do this? Let's talk about these are the symptoms of depression and suicidality is a symptom of depression. And these are the the warning signs or things that you can look out for that may lead to this. And let's talk about what to do if you are having thoughts of not wanting to be alive or thoughts of wanting to escape. And let's start there and then work our way towards what we can do when we are feeling like we're going to hurt ourselves. Yes, those lifelines are, are outstanding mm-hmm. for those who are at that place and need that. But what about the people that are slowly starting to build there that are not there yet? So instead of managing the crisis, we'll manage the crisis when it occurs, but let's start managing the baseline foundation of depression and monitoring for when somebody gets to those thoughts and intervening immediately with how to start to manage those types of thoughts. Feeling suicidal is not the norm. It is a symptom of depression, but not everybody gets it. Yeah, there's, I guess, yeah, so much things that go along with that. And I love the idea of let's take care of it before it even gets that far. You know, let's look more at depression and let's put out warning signs Mm -hmm. and how you deal with that and not wait till somebody is thinking about ending their life to put this, this lifeline out there. Let's take care of it before that. And I think that's extremely important. And that's when it's talked about when someone, you know, unfortunately does go through and they end their life. That's when you see a spark or a peak oh, in yeah. talking about, you mm-hmm. know, um, resources available for when people are in times of crisis or when people are suicidal. But again, as I was saying earlier, that's not the norm for depression. It is a part of it. And I'm not downplaying mm-hmm. that. But my point here is it's not the norm, meaning it's more than just depression. It's depression with suicidal thoughts. And we could talk about this too more if you want. I mean, that's, a, that's you know, up to you. But that's when medication is a really great conversation mm-hmm. because the body is so depleted of the chemicals that kind of regulate ourselves and manage, you know, um, how we feel. And medication can be a really big deal for trying to work our way out of such a deep, dark, dark place. Yep. Yeah. I also think, I at least I don't know why my mind goes to this, when somebody is kind of feeling a little reluctant to talk about their depression and that is almost their partner or whoever they're telling, like, what, I, I can't make you happy? And them feeling, you know, like they're not good enough almost and feeling guilty over that. And I feel like that can add to it. I mean, there's so many reasons why we don't talk about things. And I think one of the biggest ones, obviously, is the stigma of if you are feeling depressed or struggling with any kind of mental health, that it's weakness. Mm. And I think that is one of the biggest things that still I scratch my head over when I think of the whole go see a primary care physician, but don't go see a therapist. Right. Exactly. Or yeah. uh, cardiologists, you know, or diet, you know, for diabetes. Um, if you go see a, pod- a podiatrist, I mean, you go to those specialties for a reason. I remember us talking about this mm-hmm. um, last year, too. There are specialties for a reason. 
Yeah, and go take care of your mental health. Damn it. Yes. <laughs> I wish it was, I might have said this last year, I wish it was required from elementary school until, yeah. well, forever, really, but I mean, that's not realistic. Neither is, you know, thinking it should be implemented um, at such a young age, but it would be really <laughs> great if it was. No, it would be. Yeah, and I think just, I mean, it should be a common thing to just like you go see a primary care physician to go see a primary care therapist or counselor or whatever it is mm -hmm. to really, you know, just talk about things. And one of the things my last guest, Brian, mentioned that when he kind of threw things out to at least men about talking is like a lot of people are like, well, I think I would know if something was wrong by now hmm. was the response he got. Mm -hmm. Like somebody would have told me. And the other response he gets a lot is that whole I just think it's weakness still and it's just it's so out there and I mean from a such from the second you're born I mean even babies we pick up and we're like shh, shh it's okay yeah stop crying mm -hmm. like we're already like training them <laughs> and wiring point. them to stop crying it's okay you're fine don't cry and all of that and I mean I just I remember my brother broke my collarbone and I was crying I'm trying to think how old I was probably 13 that around that age mm -hmm. and my dad telling me in the kitchen stop crying you're fine and you know it's just we're, we're constantly told that growing up yeah you know? you know you brought up a good point earlier when you were talking about when, when your partner had depression and trying to talk to them and maybe we as partners feel guilty of not knowing how to support or be there for them mm -hmm. and kind of like what I was talking about earlier with one of my specialties of someone coming in to learn about maybe their loved one's um, mental health condition um, or symptoms or traits, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you're not even sure if they have a mental health condition or not. But not only is the education piece important, education, I mean, it's just like an open, you know, Q&A almost like, uh, tell me what's going on, what you're seeing. And let's kind of talk about if you think they have depression, what, what else to look out mm -hmm. for this, that and the other thing. But it's more than that. It's communicating with purpose, which is actually one of the chapters in the book that I that I wrote, because you need to have purpose with your questions. You need to have what is your intent by asking this? What is your intent on how you how you want this person to feel in conversation? Um, oftentimes we'll see that people aren't really sure what to say to other people. An example I'm going to use is grief. Someone loses a loved one. Oh, yeah. Some people are you know, I mean, people are all different, right? And maybe I'm honing in on, you know, too much of, of a specific, but I am going to talk about those who tend to back away a little bit and don't say much because they're not sure of what to say. I could talk about that, you know, all day long mm -hmm. too. Think about you, how you would feel. What would you want somebody to say to you? How many times have you heard time heals all wounds isn't true? <laughs> yeah. I mean, our relationship with the loss changes and it's up and down, up and down. Certain dates bring it right back up like it was you know when it first happened mm -hmm. and then we go through periods of time where we don't think about it as much or it's not as present or it's present differently so the relationship with grief changes over time and repeats if you will but there's no getting over it um so it when i say that communication with purpose you know it's it really hits home when you focus right on grief that is yeah and grief it, grief is a strange thing like that because it's something can just totally snap or happen where you're just right back at square one like it just happened over again i saw an incredible analogy and by the way as i'm about to say this i'm thinking about i know you have a long or a a lot of history of, of loss in your life sean mm -hmm. but um there was an incredible analogy that i saw it was a viral article that was written and it was written by a young girl who i don't know what her loss was it might i think it was a parent but she was talking with one of her one of her doctors about her grief and she shares that the doctor made an analogy of a box with 
a ball in it and a small button of pain in the corner. And when you move and you shake the box around, the ball will only hit the pain button every now and then. And that's kind of like how grief is. When the pain buttons hit, it hurts just as much as mm -hmm. it did in the beginning. And then it rolls around and it's not as intense, but it doesn't matter. As soon as it hits that pain button, the pain is there. Yeah. I mean, I've always just kind of used the analogy of finding a way to experience joy and happiness with that pain at the same time. Like you learn, you can learn Tell me how, what you, mean. you can learn how to be sad and mourn and cry and deal with grief at the same time and still love life and appreciate it and laugh and mm -hmm. have joy and have happiness along with it. But it's always there, you know, that, that crack in your heart or whatever, your soul or sure. whatever is always there, but you learn to appreciate things. And I mean, my, my motto has always been, if you can look at something and learn from it and grow from it, something that seems meaningless can have meaning no matter what it is. And you know what? It's funny because I always use our conversation from last time all the time when you said to me, what did I say something about? I can't remember what you said. I think I said something about taking the sign okay, or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'd be grateful if you did that. I'd be complimented because it means you liked it or whatever. Oh, this sign. Yes. Okay, this, that's this, right. Um, it's yeah, a wooden BU. figurine yep. that has the words B space, if you will, B-U. And then on top of the figurine, it has a rotating rectangle with different mm -hmm. words on it. Wholeheartedly you, be you. What's the other one? I see unapologetically be you. I love that one. That's, that's, that's probably my one. fave. Yep. But I remember saying that or whatever, and I was like, oh, you wouldn't be saying that if I, or I, I, know I said, going. Yeah, yeah, I wish somebody would say that when I took when their purse. When you took their purse, yeah. And But I remember, I'll never forget what you said after that. And I remember you said that that was their opportunity, the people you, you do things to or vice versa. It's an opportunity to learn and grow from that. Mm. Not that that justifies the actions, not that it makes it okay, but it's still an opportunity for somebody to grow as an individual. And that always stuck with me because that is that is such a huge thing, no matter whether we have caused something to somebody else or vice versa, that has allowed me, that really helped me work on forgiveness for myself. Wow. To not feel guilty for the screwed up and messed up things I did in my addiction. Because even if that person still hates me, even if that person's still angry with me, I have permission to go forward and forgive myself that it's okay because that's what I deserve. And this was an opportunity for them to work on something in themselves. Mm -hmm. Why are they still harboring anger towards that? Why are they still so upset? That's their opportunity. If they don't take it, that has nothing to do with me. Correct. And I, I loved really it. And great. that's I remember that's like the biggest thing I took out of our, our last podcast. And I say that to people all the time. That is so cool. And I love that. I love that. And thank you for sharing that with yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Very. It was like an eye opener. And it really helped me to not like sit in guilt anymore when I'm around somebody who I know, like even you know, quotes, good friends that won't talk to me anymore and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, well, you know, your loss. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, it's, gosh, that's such a really great um, story. I'm so happy you you shared that with me. It kind of reminds me too of, <laughs> I've made a lot of references to the book today and I had no intention on talking about the book. I was that's always sharing great. that with you <laughs> just as a personal, you know, aspiration and goal and sharing my progress. So it's so funny that it's, that it's coming up. But, um, oh my God, this happened to me last year where I was talking and then I was super excited to share my thought and then I forgot what the thought was. <laughs> and that's what's happening right now. Oh, I what that I was happens to me all the time. All the time that happens. 
That's pretty frustrating. <laughs> we were talking about, oh, okay, I just remembered. Okay, relationships with, with people. One of the um, chapters in the book focuses on, I might, struck a, I might strike a, a nerve with the audience, but that saying, forgive and forget, mm-hmm. I'm not into forgive and forget. I'm into choosing how to move forward in choosing what type of relationship you want with that person in your life. I don't think that we need to receive an apology, even if it's expected or hoped for. And if it's hoped for, that's a really, it's really great if we get an apology when we're hoping for one, right? But in times where we may not get an apology or in times when we do, and we don't even care to have one, we don't have to forgive and forget to move on. We can choose to acknowledge how we were hurt or disappointed or taken advantage of or not supported when we needed support or whatever it may or may not be and still choose to move forward with that person in our life in the way in which we define for ourselves. We dictate, we choose, we can determine how we're going to interact with this person going forward, whether it's not at all or with some type of boundary, if you will, um, and how we're going to interact with that person going forward. So when I just heard you say maybe some past friends that you don't have that relationship with with anymore, you know, we choose as people how we want to have relationships, but also it's equally as important for us to define for mm-hmm. us what that means for us if we're on the other end of the loss of some type of, you know, partnership, relationship, intimate relationship, work relationship, uh, things of, of that nature. Yeah. And I also, I think it's important just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you have to you can choose to not spend your time with them anymore that's exactly and what you I'm can saying. still yes. yeah you can still forgive somebody and move in a complete opposite direction mm-hmm. and yeah that's that's very important and you don't have to forget that's no. the part that i think yeah. is going to strike a nerve with with, with some. and i think i mean i don't think you forget anyway whether that's the point. you can sit there and say you forget but you didn't forget no you don't you <laughs> never forget the way that somebody you know makes you feel right no no you do not no, you didn't. I forgot about this. Uh, the, <laughs> I know. The AC heater. Yeah, vent there thing. might be some little bit of noise, <laughs> static in the background. In from the, the old loud... microphone. Yeah. Hey, maybe with a new microphone, it won't even, or it probably will pick up because the microphone is more advanced. Probably. Yes. We'll see. Now you have some serious editing to do. We'll see how it comes out. <laughs> well, like I said, I need to get a preamp for these so that I can not have this up as loud as it is right now and then that way it would actually will pick up less but once i have the money i'll get those nothing's cheap in the podcast and videography world i can tell you that much from the little bit that i do know i can't even begin to imagine (laughs) especially if something doesn't work or needs to be fixed i mean i can only imagine the learning that goes into that and the um the finances too that's right so what else Brittany? (laughs) what other common themes have you seen around in your counseling and therapy and so again common themes because I'm kind of bringing that in right that's kind of like what we were talking about are you seeking out your clients or are they seeking Mm -hmm. you I speak to the type of challenges experiences that somebody wants to focus on in therapy so that one that we were touched on was those who have loved ones with mental health or addiction the other uh, piece that I really tend to focus on and have a lot of clientele come in for is in regards to relationships people who are not sure if they want to stay in a relationship and this isn't necessarily couples therapy this can also be individual therapy where they're trying to decide for themselves 
that th- is this relationship one that they want to continue to pursue? Mm-hmm. And whether it is or it is not, walking through the potential scenarios or walking through how do we want to respond to difficult situations if we want to end the relationship? How do we navigate relationships with family members of the partner that maybe we are separating from? I mean, that's so huge too is when there's a separation or a divorce or a breakup, sometimes you still hope to maintain some type of relationship with the relationship that you once had that is now forever changed going forward in some type of capacity, right? Um, So I find that I do have clients that come in when they read that one of my areas of focus is, you know, navigating relationships, whether it's separating or sometimes even getting married. Some people aren't sure if that is, you know, the next best step for them. And that's actually probably my most favorite thing to spend on a journey with someone is walking through if getting married is the next best step for them. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd rather deal with depression. Oh, really? <laughs> telling somebody to get married. I don't know. Or not to. No, don't forget in therapy, we don't tell anybody what to do. <laughs> you we're should not a, get married to that person. We're just alongside, you know, the journey with talking things out loud. And again, one of the things that um, I probably sound like a broken record uh, from the last podcast and through my website and anytime I do any type of, you know, speaking engagements really is in regards to therapy is so special um, because it is that whether it's 45 minutes or an hour whatever you schedule for it is that one hour dedicated for you to talk about you and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to sit there very often if at Mm -hmm. all to just focus on ourselves and to talk things out loud I could talk about the, the process of therapy every single day for the rest of my life therapy is so unique and special I could talk about why is it different than talking with a family member or a friend that's probably one of my favorite things to talk about also too not only why why is it different than talking with family member or friends but why is it different to sit and talk out loud than it is to talk inside your head Oh, that's so funny you say that because I literally was just talking. I think I was talking to my mom about this because I must have gotten it from her that I like if I'm home alone, I literally everything I think I say out loud. Mm. It is very I'm like if somebody ever like listened in, they'd be like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily. If I was there, I probably wouldn't. But that's because I have a therapist (laughs) lens, if you will. Because I literally and even like questions. I'll ask myself questions out loud. I'll answer them. You know, even if I'm if I'm looking, where did I put my keys? I don't know. Where the hell did I have them last? I promise I'm not saying this just to say it. And I almost feel like I'm going to have to re-listen to our last podcast because the sounds, I'm almost kind of having like the the deja vu. I think it did happen. (laughs) I'm the same way. I talk out loud, whether Mm -hmm. I'm by myself or there's people surrounding me, my thoughts are automatically coming out loud. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Especially if I'm teaching myself something. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. It drives Christine nuts. She's like, what? I'm like, I'm not talking (laughs) to you. Not talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Also, too, one of my other favorite parts of therapy is explaining to someone that if I ask a question and the person sitting across from me on the couch is thinking, why the hell would she ask that? What purpose does that serve her? Mm-hmm. Why would that be important? Why would that be relevant to ask me? Ask me, you know, whether it's, that's so interesting, why'd you ask that? Or I wonder why you did ask that? Or why would it be important for you to know? Or this, that, and the other thing. Because it's through those questions when I know that somebody's wondering why I asked that question, it merits a lot of conversation. They deserve to know why I asked that. And sometimes if somebody doesn't ask me and I think that they're probably thinking that mm-hmm. and they don't ask, I ask them. I say to them, 
something along the lines of, how does it feel for me to ask you that question? Were you surprised by that question? Did it catch you off guard? Did it not at all? Because that opens up room for conversation too. But there's always in therapy, other than if you're just, you know, kind of, you know, saying hello and you're getting your greetings um, together or you're getting settled in the office, there might be some small talk. But once the therapy session begins, every question is thoughtful with purpose, with intent, and with a function. So if something is asked and it seems kind of out of the blue, there's a reason for it. So if someone's thinking it, I encourage them to ask me. And if they're not asking it, when I think that I'm surprised that they're not and that they probably are wondering why I'm asking them, <laughs> I bring it them. to their attention. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing the conversation that comes just, just from that in itself. It's amazing what you can find out about somebody from just a simple conversation. Yes. Once they get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's always, it's always surprising. You can really start breaking through and seeing people's true, in quote, selves when you, you get them comfortable in a conversation. That is the truth. And I'm also going to go on the other side of that too. And it's also um, remarkable and really beneficial and telling when someone is uncomfortable and you talk about that they are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to talk about the why. It's talking about, I see that you're uncomfortable. How, how are you feeling? Tell me about what's going on with your body. What's going on in, in, in your mind? You don't have to talk about the why, meaning like, are they afraid to talk about something or they're not ready for it? It's how are you feeling in this moment? Are you feeling worried, judged, scared, challenged, relieved, overwhelmed, sad? You know, there's so many things that can come from that. Yeah, and I think just even once you're like, at least for me anyway, I guess I can't speak for everybody, when something makes me uncomfortable or even if I'm self-conscious about something, like the other day with my podcast, I forgot headphones, mm-hmm. that little voice goes, "That's this is such amateur, he's going to think you're an amateur, this mm-hmm. is ridiculous, mm-hmm. and then just saying it out loud or making a joke about it, you know, it really is a key thing for me to all of a sudden it just goes away. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. You know, so I remember, I think, what did I say to Brian? I was like, yep. So now that we got this amateur hour, hour going where I forgot <laughs> my headphones, like it just immediately leaves. And it's like, all right, whatever. You're allowed to make mistakes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is pretty important. The thing you just said about mistakes. There's a quote. Yeah, you can take your time. Oh, I was just, thank you. Know, you. Coming, coming towards the end. I I'm just not, don't It's not like it. a strict hour. All right, what's your quote? Okay. Well, it's not my quote. I don't know where it came from. And I hope I can recall it correctly so you said something about it's okay to make mistakes but the quote is along the lines of you don't know what success feels like until you've made a mistake or you can't Mm -hmm. feel success without feeling failure or a mistake um i think it is failure but it applies you know to other words as well but that is so true not only are you not able to really feel success without roadblocks on the way there but I don't think we give ourselves permission to to, to do that enough either. Mm-hmm. That's huge. My f- favorite version of that is a Zen master has tried or has failed more times than you've even tried. <laughs> wow. That's one of my yeah. favorites. Yeah. Well, one of the, my biggest shifts in my mindset that I see now, which makes me know that it's only a matter of time, which, whatever success means, I guess we all define that for ourselves, until I'm successful is... So before this really this big change in my whole confidence and my self-care and love and everything else that I had for myself, before this big change, I would see somebody who was better than me and be like, oh, man, this dude's awesome or this lady's awesome. 
I'll never be that good. Why should I even try? So there's no point of trying. Mm. Now I see somebody who's better than me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be better than this person one day. And it motivates me to like just learn and study and get, get, you know, better at things. And that was one of the biggest things that I've really have changed in my mind. And what came along with that is almost this, obviously not intentionally failing, but almost excited and 100% okay with failing because I learn quicker when I screw something up like I won't forget headphones for the longest time (laughs) ever again that's so true yeah I will never forget headphones and just you know little things like that or I mean even bigger things like you know in my videography now it's like you know you forget you do one thing it's like you remember so much all right I I forgot about this I forgot about this I forgot about that I forgot Mm -hmm. about this all right next time I'll remember Well, what a good feeling that is and what a great relationship to have with, you know, challenges and obstacles Mm -hmm. as as well. And something you said, um, oh, about, you know, being better or, you know, reaching our our goals to be the person that we want to be. And it's not that we're not as good as that person because we are, you know, we're kind of evaluating and taking a look at the things that we admire about somebody else that we want to incorporate in what our vision is, what our dream is. So from that, um, we take what it is that we enjoy practice it incorporate it grow on that and then we may find that we even branch out and do something different um where we had kind of like our 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 role model or Mm -hmm. idol if we will and then we end up doing our own thing but based off of what we learned and admired from from other people yep that is important kind of reminds me of relationships. I'm just going to throw this in there too. Um, When I think about relationships um, ending, I like to also think about the next relationship, right? And to consider what is it about that past relationship that we loved about the relationship, that we loved about our individual self separate from the relationship that allowed the relationship to function healthy. And by that, I mean our relationship with work, friends, family, and all in all, what is it from those past relationships that we enjoyed and that we, w- we would want more of in the next relationship? And what is it that we would want less of in our next relationship? So gosh, there's so much to learn from people that we admire and um, relationship experiences that we've enjoyed, admired, and would like more of and less of in our next relationship too. Yeah, I might have to ask you a few some questions because I am doing the next vlog I'm doing is actually somewhat about relationships, mm-hmm. kind of more about my divorce and, you know, a lot of things of which have led up to it and the things I could have done ro- better, the things I did right, things I did wrong and stuff like that. And with one of the funniest things that I you know think about, because I was with my now ex-wife almost seven years, not married, but... Mm-hmm. A total of seven years. And it's so funny when a relationship ends, all you remember is the shitty, crappy things that person (laughs) did. They were the worst person ever. But they weren't in the beginning. Even though I spent seven years with them. (laughs) Sure. Like you forget all the laughter and all the happiness and all the good times. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's hysterical how that happens automatically. And, you know, it's one of my favorite things is if, you know, love is unconditional and you truly want somebody to be happy and they no longer want to be with you, as much as that sucks and as painful as that is, you should be okay to let that go and let Mm -hmm. them go be happy. Mm hmm. That's why I just wonder most of the relationships you come across are just not healthy whatsoever. You know what that reminds me too um, of too, Sean, is when I think about that's a very difficult relationship scenario, right? Somebody who's ready to move on or somebody who Mm -hmm. has moved on and the other partner or ex-partner, if you will, is not ready to do that or is struggling very much so um, with that. What was I going to say though? It's happening again. (laughs) Um, Okay, hold on. Give me a second. Talk about relationships. Oh, just as much as let's say people break up. One partner is moving forward 
and maybe they have a new partner. Even if we miss the relationship and we wish that that relationship would have succeeded or that we could still stay in the relationship to work on things, at the end of the day, the person who wants the relationship, you deserve to have a fulfilling relationship. And if the person that you were with decides to stick it out just to see if things get better or just to stay around because it's easier to pay rent or mortgage, Mm -hmm. it's unfair to... The pers- it's unfair to, to us, the one who wants a relationship, because just as much as we deserve a healthy relationship, they do mm-hmm. as well. And if you don't have someone that's fully invested or it's not reciprocated, then we don't deserve to have an unfulfilling relationship, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And I think so many people stay together because of kids, financial mm-hmm. reasons, mm-hmm. or they're scared to be alone. I think those are the top three things that you find so many, so many people are in because of those three things. And I, I tell people all the I time, agree. I tell people all the time, Brittany, I would rather go through my brother and sister dying over and over again than ever having to look another human being in the face and saying, who is in love with you and saying, I do not want to be with you anymore. <laughs> Because that was the most difficult thing I've ever done. And I think a lot of that has to do with like my brother and sister were like nothing, none of my faults, none of my mistakes caused that. Nothing I did caused that. But this was all me. Like not all me obviously takes two people to make a relationship. Mm But, you know, I got into it. You know, I had the kids. You know, I'm a father. I mean, just so many things. And oh my gosh. I mean, that was easily the number one reason why I numbed most of my life with heroin was just because I that guilt and that sense of failure, even though I was in an amazing relationship, still am with another mm-hmm. woman, that was that just weighed on me constantly. All the people I heard, it affected my entire family, friends, her entire family, friends. I yes. mean, every affected so many people, and that just sat with me for so long, many years. Uh, that like mistakes and that guilt sat with me, and oh, that was tough. It says a lot about your comparison with with grief. And you know mm-hmm. what? I may have said this last year, but I need to say it again. So many times if I have someone that I'm working with, and I'm not talking, I should take that back. It's not just in the office. It's in my personal life too. If yeah. someone's going through a divorce or a separation or a breakup, I do like to compare it to the stages of grief and loss equivalent to the loss of a loved one even though there's a huge difference between someone being you know lost to death but we still go through those different stages of you know feelings of guilt feelings of anger feelings of acceptance you know and it's just a rotating cycle where there's no right or wrong in which stage we fall in but we do experience the same stages in some capacity with the loss of a relationship um and it is very painful and it affects us in some way for the rest of our life whether it's you know at the forefront or on the back burner but it will influence future decisions and present day feelings yes it will yeah that's that's a difficult thing good old relationships Mm. They're fun. I'm very, very grateful for the one I am in now. I can tell you that much. That's a really good <laughs> feeling. When we do a future podcast, maybe we can just focus on relationships then. You know what? That There's sounds like a plan. So much to talk about. We can, We should do a full episode on relationships. I mean, we could even schedule it before I leave. Nice. Okay. We can do that. So, well, thank you for this episode. Thank you for you know sharing this time with me and having me 
be a part of this. I just, I love discussion. So thank you. I know. This is always a blast. And yes, we will. Um, so the future room nine, a third episode with Brittany is being planned now on relationships. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. I sh- we should do it live so people can call in and ask you advice. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about that earlier. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be so much fun. Any question, any question goes as long as it's you know, appropriate, I guess. We'd have to set some serious guidelines. Yeah, we'd have to be careful <laughs> with that. We'll have to look into some that, that's, laws, that's I guess. That's true. You'd have to find, um, I mean, you do it on YouTube. We don't, it doesn't matter what they say. It just... Future project. I wouldn't, yeah, not <laughs> want to throw that. Anyway, all right, Brittany, thank Thanks, you for Sean. joining me.